Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. The pastors at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue here in Celebration, Florida. Today we'll be looking at the fourth chapter in the book of Acts in the New Testament um, in a message called that I call, Be Bold and Be Not Deceived. And this message is part of a series that we call Unstoppable because the, in the book of Acts we see the, the birth of the church. And we see through the book of Acts that the church was truly unstoppable. Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church and we see that continuing to today. Today men and women all over the world have come to know and believe in Jesus Christ in the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior. Together we embrace one faith, one hope, and one baptism. You know, so far in our series through the first three chapters in the book of Acts, uh, we saw the birth of the church through the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Uh, the disciples had been told to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, and he came in power and in might. Uh, the power, people in the street heard the sound of the mighty wind and were able to hear the 120 or so disciples speak the praises of God, and each person heard it in their their own native language. And then we saw Peter and John in chapter 3 uh, walking up to the temple and they see a, a lame man that had been lame from birth, completely crippled, unable to, to get up and walk. All they could do was beg. And, and they reached down in the name of Jesus Christ. They healed the man. And, and he rose up and he, and he leapt for joy. Uh, the people were amazed and even more came to believe in Jesus Christ as their as their Lord and their Savior. Um, it, the Bible says that they added daily to the number of people that were becoming Christians, that were added to the church. You know, but everyone was not happy. And, and that's where we start off today in chapter 4 of the Acts of the Apostles. I'll start with verse 1. It says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they had taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Yeah. Notice what's happening here. Uh, when it references the captain of the temple, uh, what, it, what it, the Bible is referring to is a, is a police department, a, a police force. It was an established um, arm of the temple. It was part of the Roman government. It was sanctioned by the Roman government, authorized and supervised by the Sanhedrin. Uh, it consisted of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they ruled in, uh, in all matters of Jewish law. When they gathered together as a large group, there was a total of 71 in the, in the large group of the Sanhedrin. Um, in essence, they were the Supreme Court of Israel. As noted earlier, they had police powers. Uh, they could legislate and officially ruled as the judges of Israel. In the Gospel accounts, uh, Jesus tangled often with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We see this all through the Gospels. When Jesus was arrested, he was brought before the high priest and the father-in-law of the high priest in an illegal trial. 
uh, we read in verse 3 that Peter and John were arrested, but then they were held until the next day uh, because it was, it was, already, uh, it was already dark. Um, it was illegal for them to try somebody in the evening. Jesus, however, was tried well after sunset by the Sanhedrin, and it was an illegal trial. Uh, Peter and John were very much aware of what was happening. This was their first run-in with uh, the powers, with the power brokers of the government. However, they were very much aware of the ultimate power that they had. While the Romans were officially in charge, they delegated most of the day-to-day -day running of Israel uh, to, the, to the Sanhedrin. Um, with the temple guard, the priests and the Sadducees that were in charge. The, the Sadducees is a group that is being referenced here. Uh, not only were they more power, the more powerful political sect, um, but when Jesus, when Peter and John preached the resurrection, it really caught their attention. You see, they, they were greatly disturbed because they did not believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in a, in a resurrection. Uh, arresting Peter and John was a show of power and intimidation. The same group of leaders had recently condemned Jesus and they wanted them to know that they had the power to do the same thing to Peter and John. As we read through this fourth chapter of Acts, we're going to see two key characteristics. Two key characteristics in Peter and John in the early church. These two characteristics are also needed today, in today's church, in people like you and me. They're needed by every follower of Jesus Christ. I say that they're needed today because we are presently in an era that was described by Jesus and the prophets where it's easy to be deceived. The two characteristics that we'll see in this fourth chapter of Acts are discernment and boldness. Discernment and boldness. Now let's continue in our study of Acts 4. Peter and John are arrested. They're brought before the powerful rulers, the elders, the scribes, and the Sadducees, and the high priest, and are asked by what power and by what name they've done this, referring both to the preaching of Jesus as well as this miracle, this healing of the lame man. We'll see the boldness of Peter as he responds in verse 8. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is one of the first understandings of discernment. Now, there are two types of discernment, natural and spiritual. You know, all discernment is the ability to determine truth from error, right from wrong. Uh, the definition is, is relatively simple. The process of discernment is, is not. Bo both for natural as well as supernatural discernment, uh, these are learned skills. A person that has the ability, the skill to be able to discern truth from error typically has a well-established frame of reference, a, a filter 
that's able to identify those things that are true from those things that are false. Spiritual discernment is, is similar. Spiritual discernment is the ability to think biblically. The person that's said to have, uh, that has discernment, spiritual discernment, has a well-established biblical world view. It comes with both maturity as well as through the Holy Spirit. The reason that discernment is so key, so important, um, and such, an, such a, a critical characteristic for Christians is because the believer in Jesus Christ is easily, can, can be easily fooled into believing half-truths. Proverbs 18.15 says, The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. True discernment, according to Charles Spurgeon, is the ability to distinguish between right and almost right, truth from error. In actuality, a half-truth is still a whole lie. Let's continue in the book of Acts, and we'll see what Peter and John are told, and then how they respond. Verse 15, they, now these are the Sadducees, the high priests, and the scribes, those, those in power, conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. You know, when we read this, let's not think for a moment that they didn't have the power to back it up. You know, Peter and John are, are going to reply. They're going to make a statement regarding this decree, and we'll see in operation those two important characteristics, both discernment as well as boldness. First, discernment is key. And again, going back to the words in verse 8, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's only through the Holy Spirit that we can truly discern spiritual matters. The Bible tells us often to be discerning. If we're full of the Holy Spirit, we cannot be easily deceived. Let's look at Peter and John's response. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Every Christian, every Christian needs to grow in discernment. In this modern world, with our ubiquitous social, uh, social media and the 24-hour news cycle, pushing a narrative that is often anti-Christian, anti-Bible, and anti-American, it's important that we gain an enhanced and refined ability to determine truth from error. Much of that can be learned. It comes with uh, an understanding of our foundation our history, the, the true greatness of this nation. In addition, and just as importantly, spiritual discernment is a shield against spiritual deception. Uh, the Apostle Paul equates this type of spiritual discernment with Christian maturity. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says the church is equipped so that we can attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In Acts 4, Peter and John discerned correctly. 
Uh, they had followed what the Holy Spirit was telling them. Verse 21 continues. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. You know, without the filling of the Holy Spirit, um, they may have had boldness, but they may have missed it. Uh, they could have also been immediately thrown into prison, uh, possibly even killed, but God had other plans. It was through the Holy Spirit that they were able to have another day, that they were able to preach boldly, have the discernment to know when to preach. Uh, with the discernment, they were able to die another day. If we continue reading through this verse in the fourth chapter of Acts, we find that Peter and John were going back to rejoin their companions, uh, the other apostles and disciples, and a growing number of people that were calling themselves followers of Jesus Christ. And they reported to them all that had happened. And they all rejoiced. And guess what? They prayed for more boldness. What a great example for us. We need to be bold. However, knowing when to be bold, knowing where to be bold, and knowing how, the media, the methods we need, it requires discernment as well. The response by these early Christians was to, to pray. Uh, another great example for us. It's through prayer that the Holy Spirit begins to communicate with us, to show us and teach us and provide the understanding that is, is key in dealing with any of these attacks. I want to read to you part of their prayer beginning in, in verse 25. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. You know, in this prayer, the disciples are quoting Psalm 2 and acknowledge that when the nations rage and the people plot evil and the governments follow the same evil schemes, the attack is actually against the Lord and none other than Jesus Christ. I'd like to take a little time and talk about how we can be deceived. You know, while deception comes in, in many ways, and actually in the Bible we see it at the very beginning, or we could say in the beginning, because in the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, after God created the heavens and the earth, and there's this, we read the story of Adam and Eve, and then there's that historic day when the, saint, Satan, then when the serpent, Satan, came in to tempt um, Adam and Eve. It was the first deception. Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 4, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the wet woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know, the first part of what the serpent said is, is, is uh, false. The second part, however, is true, but it's a half-truth. And we said before that a half-truth is a, a whole lie. This is, this is deception. Let me illustrate for you four ways that we often are, are deceived. I'll, I'll give you the four and then we'll talk about them briefly. The first is repackaged lies. Number two, good intentions. Number three, blurred equivalence. And number four, unholy alliances. So let's take them one at a time. Number one, repackaged lies. The Bible tells us that after the flood, one of Noah's descendants was a man by the name of Nimrod. Nimrod was a mighty man and built some of the first cities in the land that we know as ancient Mesopotamia, a name meaning between the two rivers. Those rivers were the Tigris and the Euphrates. 
Long before this land birthed the empires of Assyria and Babylon, Nimrod built the city of Babel. And the Bible tells us the story of the Tower of Babel. You may remember the story of the Tower of Babel because it was where God confused the languages. However, the reason that God confused their languages is because the people were attempting to build for them a great city, a tower that the Bible says would reach into heaven to make a name for themselves. They wanted to be united. The city would be the headquarters of a united world government. The tower would be, would be a religious symbol. Now, there have been a number of world leaders that have attempted to unify the world. We have the Caesars of Rome, Alexander the Great, Napoleon, and most recently Hitler. The Bible tells us that in the latter days, another world leader will emerge that would set up a one-world government. This man, this Antichrist, would seize the leadership of three nations and then ultimately lead a confederation of ten kings, ten powers that establish his rule. Today we hear references to the New World Order often and tearing down borders uh, that we're all citizens of the earth. And this is nothing more than a repackaged lie that ultimately culminates in the end of the age, the rise of the Antichrist and the return of Jesus Christ to reign for a thousand years. Uh, there are many more repackaged lies today and we need discernment. Discernment based on a, a strong foundation of, of who we are where we came from, what this country stands for, the true story of American history, and on the spiritual side, we need to know the Bible. We need to have a firm foundation, a, a firm understanding of our theology, uh, which ends with faith in God and the grace that comes from God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, good intentions. Uh, another way we're deceived is through good intentions. Today we hear that we need to reform in many areas. However, there's always been national and international movements for reform through, throughout the modern era. All of these reforms started with, with great intentions. But every great intention is not actionable nor wise. There's an old saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And that's often true. In the 19th century, many well-intentioned Christians uh, looking at the rates of alcoholism and poverty and the atrocious living conditions, particularly in our inner cities, began a massive overhaul of their church ministries to be able to resource, to fund, and promote the various needs that they, they identify. Uh, their intentions were good, their impact profound, but they left their first love. They left God. They left the gospel. And for many of these churches, and is what is now called our more liberal mainline denominations, the social gospel has replaced the gospel. For many of these churches and Christians, they had more in common with anyone and any organization that shared their concern for some of these causes than they had in common with those who were actually to fulfill the Great Commission. Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all things as I've commanded you and behold I'll I'll be with you until the very end of the age it is the gospel that in reality truly changes people it is becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ that we learn to to love our neighbors as ourselves we understand that there are missions that we need to serve and and we need to serve and not be served uh, that all those 
that have more are supposed to share with what they have with, with others. Jesus said, you will have the poor with you always. He, he didn't say that because he didn't want us to take care of the poor. He told us to that to make sure that we understood our, our primary mission. Our primary objective is to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, that all of our good works are, are really no better than filthy rags. That Jesus paid the price for our sin. And that in Christ we have forgiveness. We can be born again. We can be made new. The natural man will never be able to achieve that which has been reserved for the, the spiritual man. Let's get to the third way we're often deceived, and that's blurred equivalence. By blurred equivalence, I realize it's an unusual combination of words, but I refer to words that have meanings, but the meanings have become blurred. Uh, let me start with the most obvious, and actually one of, that has done more damage to this nation than any other, and that's what's meant by the word social justice. Social justice and the problems inherent in social justice are similar to what I said about the social gospel. When people with good intentions took the gospel and made it the social gospel, they, they lost the gospel. In the same way, today people with good intentions espouse social justice, but in the process, we start to lose our understanding of what justice is all about. Much of what is said regarding social justice is encouraging and laudable. There are genuine desires to help the impoverished, the oppressed, to alleviate poverty, to put an end to discrimination and racism. Often you'll hear the Bible quoted. You'll see Christian ministers vocalizing on their proposed solutions to bring about equality and fairness. However, justice doesn't need a modifier. It doesn't need the adjective social. Uh, by adding the word social, the definition of justice includes a prescribed remedy. It means the society as a whole needs to, to change. The old order and everything about it has to be torn down so that a new society rises from the ashes. Often the most vocal proponents of social justice suggest that social justice trumps or eclipses the rights of the individual. With social justice we don't consider the individual just the groups. Groups defined by their ethnicity, the color of their skin, or other distinctives. Notice I didn't, mean, I didn't mention race. And the reason is, is because there's only one race. It's called the human race. Men and women are all created in the image of God. You know, civil unrest, riots, vandalism, for a cause, supposedly is, is laudable. True justice, protection of property, liberty for the individual, is secondary. It's easily dismissed and of, real no, of no real importance to the cause of social justice. The Bible has a lot to say about justice. God desires that we embrace justice, especially for those that are vulnerable, the, the least of these. The Bible says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. That's in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. One of the verses that um, my wife and I taught our children at an early age was Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, I, I, I fully understand why people with good intentions will embrace these often ill-defined words like social justice. 
some great companies that I admire have, are now using the word social justice in their, in their mission statement for the company. I choose to believe that they likely misunderstands the tr misunderstand the true implications of the word social justice. However, with proper discernment, they can understand that the word justice doesn't need the modifier social. Fourth out of four, unholy alliances. If you remember your Old Testament, the people of Israel were serving as slaves in Egypt, and God raised up Moses who told the Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, before Moses made it to the promised land, in fact, he never made it, Joshua took him in, they were able to see the promised land in the distance. And God gave them a promise and a warning. This is what the Lord said. He said, I will fix your boundaries from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the river Euphrates. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you will drive them out before you. Now listen to the warning. You shall make no covenant with them or with their gods. They shall not live in your land because they will make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. You know, God knew that any alliance with ungodly people make a good people ungodly. Israel didn't learn their lesson and ultimately had alliance with Egypt and Assyria and other nations. Solomon married many women that led him into idolatry. The Canaanites were never truly driven out. And as a result, the people of Israel worshipped Baal and Ashereth and Moloch, gods that had them sacrifice even their children uh, to them um, in idolatry. There are movements today that become very popular and that people are starting to join. Uh, and these these movements embrace some of the very good intentions that Christians have as well, and people of faith uh, regarding equality and fairness and justice. But these are political movements that have agendas that may be hidden, but often can be easily determined. Often, these organizations that are part of, that is part of their fundamental principles fully align themselves with groups like Planned Parenthood that embrace abortion all the way through the ninth month of pregnancy. Some affiliate and accept funding from organizations that seek a violent overthrow of the existing status quo and established institutions, including the church. These movements are actually well-funded and organized and will have photo opportunities uh, with the local mayor, the Christian pastor, a national celebrity. But then they'll go and reject the very things these notable individuals cherish and believe in, including the Bible, because it is deemed to be anti-science and anti-intellectual. Often, often these movements, true mission is hidden. They use a lure of, of compassion, equality, and fairness in order to gain power. But then they plan on using that power to implement their primary objective. So let's return to Acts 4 today and see how the early church handled equality, justice, and poverty. Verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. You know, it says that those that believed were one. One heart and one soul. Uh, this unity was wonderful evidence uh, of the work of God's Spirit among them. Because of their unity, they regarded people more important than things, than the things that they owned. 
the common charity selling what they had to provide for others was necessary because many had been out in pilgrimage to, Jer to Jerusalem and had no other means of financial support when their current purse was empty. The unity of the church is never about conformity, where everybody is alike, nor is the unity of the church organizational, where everyone must be forced into the same denomination. We know the history of the church, and quite frankly, that didn't work out too well. Uh, this multitude of those who believed that had everything in common were together because of the boldness of the preaching of Peter, John, and the rest of the apostles. They had prayed to the Lord, grant to your servants with all boldness that we may speak your word. You know, some people may know the word. However, simply knowing the scriptures is not enough. From the example of the early church, we need both discernment as well as boldness in order to truly be effective. Discernment is important because sometimes it may be best to fully comply with a request. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we have to discern if we have a role to play in that particular battle. Often the role we need to serve, or the role that we need to, to be in, is to, to pray, to intercede, to allow the Lord to do what only He can do. The Apostle Paul reminds us that our struggle is actually not against flesh and blood. In Ephesians 6, he says our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Uh, we may be able to stand our ground and that often requires boldness. Over the years, I've learned through many mistakes uh, how I need, what I need to do in order to not only know the scriptures, but have the discernment needed so that I can be bold when I need to be and hold my peace when it's necessary. Here's a couple of things that I've, that I've learned. Number one, we have, to be, we have to stay intimate with God. We have to know Him. We have to be faithful in, in prayer, not only to stay in the Word of God, but in the presence of God. Number two, we, we need to stay humble often easier said than done. The scriptures say that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility is not only necessary to fully understand the kingdom of God, but it's necessary in order to be effective in the kingdom of God. With Jesus as our model, he tells us and shows us that he came to serve and not to be served. We must also be humble. We must be willing to think of our others more highly than ourselves, considering their interest above our own. Number three, we need to cultivate that inner voice of the Holy Spirit. We must learn to listen to and obey that, that still small voice, as it will make us useful in the kingdom as well as be able to, to spot deception. You know, Jesus was asked by his disciples about the last days. Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives and the apostles came to him and they said, tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now listen to this. Jesus responded, watch out that no one deceives you. You know, this same answer by Jesus is repeated in the Gospel of Luke in the, tw in the 21st chapter and the Gospel of Mark in the 13th chapter. Watch out that no one deceives you. You know, the Bible is very clear that in the last days are a time of such widespread deception that the Bible says it would be 
that they would deceive, if possible, the, the very elect. You know, I'm convinced that some of this will arise within the church. This is why we need to have discernment. We need to cultivate the same type of discernment and, and boldness as the early church. The time is short. The hour is near. It's been difficult for many to be able to worship together in much of our regular routines, including attending our Bible studies, bringing our children to children's church, or volunteering and serving together. These, these regular routines have been disrupted. Our area churches and local pastors are doing a fine job of, of reaching out through the internet, through, through videos, through cable TV, and increasingly people are finding ways to be able to connect with others, remotely, virtually. Pray for this season to, to pass. Pray for healing, both physically as well as spiritually. May God bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you and give you peace. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.